I'm pleased to be here, and uh, my colleague uh, Bruce Owens is pleased to be here. I'm going to ask Bruce to stand up so you can see him. I can tell you that uh, he's the best there is in the country uh, in gift and estate uh, design planning. That sounds like hyperbole, but if I had time, and time is moving on here, I see this morning, uh, I could actually prove that. He is the best, and he, and he does this all over. But we've been doing this for Mission of the World for over 25 years. He and I started actually doing this at Covenant Seminary. And uh, I want you to know that this is not a fundraising uh, endeavor for uh, Mission of the World. So you say, why do you do it then? And the answer is very simple, because nobody else does. Uh, nobody has this kind of service, uh, which is absolutely free, uh, where they're not trying to get into your pocketbook, they're trying to help the church. Um, and uh, the church literally leaves millions of dollars, probably you know, astronomical numbers, uh, on the table or in the taxes uh, every single year of people that, that pass away and so on. So I, I can't encourage you enough to sign up. Uh, I, I happen to know that there, uh, there are 15 more meals uh, available at, 11, at 12 o'clock, and uh, there are 14 more, because two signed up at the first service, 14 more meals. And if they run out of meals, you could still come, and, and there's standing room only. You wouldn't get fed. But frankly, the information you get is more important than the food anyhow. So I really want to encourage you to come. I've done this three times, OK? Um, and uh, my present wife uh, has done it twice, and she's working on, her th on it the third time, because your life changes, your circumstance change, and, and, uh, and, and so on. If it, and by the way, this is not for rich people. This is for everybody. Every Christian ought to have an estate design. And if you have young children, and I saw a bunch of them here, and there was just as many, by the way, in the first service as there were in this service, if you've got small children, you've got to have uh, an estate design. What would happen to your children if uh, something happened to you, both, both spouses at the same time, and it can happen, uh, what would happen to your children? That's all part of a design like that. So you want to take advantage of this tomorrow, um, and there will be a place to sign up out in the foyer. I want to encourage you uh, to do that. Um, because this is stewardship, we're talking about money, right? And uh, maybe you have uh, heard the story about the two men who were shipwrecked on a desert island, and they looked around, and one man started yelling, we're going to die. We're going to die. And the other man said, calm down, will you? Everything's going to be all right. And the other man said, no, we're going to die. There's no trees. There's no shade. There's no food. There's no water. We're going to die. And the other man said, no, everything's going to be fine. You see, I make a million dollars a year, and I tithe to my church. My pastor, he'll find us. Now, I don't start sermons with jokes very often, frankly. But I do when I'm talking about money for a reason. Because in the church, we don't know what to do with money. We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to hear sermons about it. I can tell you that preachers who go to presbytery meetings and they've got to talk about budgets and they've got to talk about salaries, they usually giggle about it or they don't talk about it all there. But isn't it interesting? The Bible talks about it a lot. I wonder why. 
Proverbs, you're preaching through Proverbs right now. There is a myriad of passages in Proverbs about money. I wonder why. Well, because God knows how important it is. You see, the purpose of the Proverbs is to help you make wise decisions when there's not a law. You know, we know about the Ten Commandments, and we shouldn't lie, we, we shouldn't covet, and we shouldn't commit adultery, and those kinds of things. We understand that. But there are other things that are a little fuzzier, you know. Suppose, for instance, a young lady were to come to her pastor or come to um, her parents and say, you know, Johnny and I, we're very much in love, and we're going to get married next year. So I wonder if I could uh, move in with him now. And uh, you would hope that the pastor or the parents would say, well, now, wait a minute. Um, uh, the, you're asking the wrong question. The question is not can, but should you? And the answer to that, in Proverbs, by the way, and there are plenty of passages on that very subject in Proverbs, would be no. And I'll tell you why. Because God loves you, and he wants to protect you. And by the way, Johnny, he loves you. He should want to protect you as well, even from himself. Well, it's exactly the same thing when it comes to money. The reason God has so much to say about money is because he wants to protect you, because he loves you. He wants to protect you from materialism, from, um, fr from focusing uh, too much and, and, and really developing a greedy heart, a heart that gets in, um, gets in way of your relationship with him. That's what, he, that's what he's really doing here. Uh, he understands the pleasure of money because he invented it. Everything we have comes from him. And he knows how wonderful the things are that he made, but he also knows the danger of the things he made, and he knows how they can become idols. They can become things that stand between us and him. So we're going to look at the 11th chapter of Proverbs, and I'll ask you to stand for the reading of God's word. Proverbs 11, beginning with verse 24. One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who holds back a grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. Whoever diligently seeks good seeks favor, but evil comes to him who searches for it. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the generous will flourish like a green leaf. Whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind, and the fool will be a servant to the wise of heart. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and whoever captures souls is wise. If the righteous is repaid on earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner. Let's pray. Father, we're coming to your word now, and it's part of the service. We've already sung and prayed, and we really are here for one purpose, to come and worship you. And we would ask now that you would send your Holy Spirit to speak to us about our stewardship, about generosity. We ask this and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated.
Well, the first principle I think that you can see here in this text is this. You can't prosper without generosity. Excuse me. You can't prosper without generosity. And we're talking about the spiritual life. Uh, when it says here in verse 24, one gives freely yet grows all the richer. That could mean that uh, as you give and as you um, uh, are serious about your stewardship, God gives you more so you can give more. And he does that. And I've seen that actually. But it doesn't necessarily mean that. It could also mean uh, that you live a, a life that's well-lived, uh, where you make an impact uh, in the church, you make an impact in other people's lives, and so on. That can't happen if your stewardship's not a part of that life. It could mean that you just glorify God more. After all, we were created for the purpose of glorifying God. So we become richer in the fact that we and our lives glorify him more. Finally, it could mean just a more godly life, uh, a, a life that's more in tune with him, uh, where God is so much more real, where that intimate relationship with him grows so that we love him more each day. See, the Hebrew word there for one who gives freely actually is a word for scattering, throwing it out and about. It's the same word uh, that uh, the Old Testament used uh, about a farmer who's going through a field and he's throwing out his seed and hoping that it falls on fertile uh, soil and then sprouts and a great crop comes out of it. And, and so what, what the text is saying is, are you a hoarder or are you a scatterer? And of course it's saying we ought to be a scatterer, one who becomes wealthy through his scattering. Now you get the point, I think. And that is, God wants us to be like him. He is a scatterer. That is, God has given us so much. Actually, his very creation of us and of this world is part of God moving beyond himself. I read a book recently, it said, what existed when nothing existed? And it was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they loved one another, and uh, it was that agape type of love, not the kind of love that's moving in, but the kind of love that's moving out, and not the love that's a consuming kind of love, uh, but a dispensing kind of love, a scattering kind of love. If you got that kind of love, what are you gonna do? If you're God, you make other things, and you create people so that you can love them and they can love you, you see. And so that's what the, what the text is calling us to be. It's to be like our God, to be one who is not greedy, not hanging on to the stuff we have, but rather saying, God, it belongs to you. How do I use it? How do I use it wisely? How do I make a difference in the church? How do I make a difference in the world? How do I make a difference in my family? How do I make a difference in this world? A greedy heart, I think, really gives itself away. A greedy heart is a heart that says, you know what, I'm not satisfied with Christ. He doesn't fulfill my life and my needs. I need other things, I need more. And a scattering type of personality is one who says, Christ is all I need. In Christ, I'm fulfilled. Christ meets all 
of my wishes and all of my desires. And that kind of a personality, that kind of a spiritual life is a scattering kind of spiritual life. It reflects the scattering of Christ himself. Think about it for a moment. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, what do we say? This is my body which is broken for you. Broken, in a sense, scattered. And, and, and that's what Jesus did for us. In a sense, he scattered himself completely. He gave us everything. He gave us his very life that we might be saved, that we might be adopted, that we might be part of his family. And I think this text is really saying to us, be like him. Be one who is rich, not necessarily in the bank account, so much is in generosity or scattering as the text talks about. Secondly, this text also tells us that we not only glorify God and we not only find him to be more and more precious to us, that intimate relationship that I'm talking about, but we also bless others. In verses 25 and 26, whoever brings blessings will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. God is calling us to, not only to glorify him through our stewardship, but to bless others through our stewardship as well. Sandy and I, that's my wife Sandy, we, we, we support a missionary. He used to be in Australia, but now he's in Asheville, uh, North Carolina. And uh, some people, I, I think, think his ministry is kind of strange. We love it. He gets up every morning and he goes to Chick-fil-A and he buys a bunch of those biscuits, you know, those chicken biscuits, and they're in bags. And then he has other things that he's collected, socks if it's wintertime, even sleeping bags if it's really cold and so on. And he goes out and finds street people. And when he goes, he goes there to say, I love you, but God loves you more. And what we love about it is that we're part of that. By our supporting him, by our, in a sense, scattering what God has given us to help him, he's blessing these people. And he always ends with that. I love you, but Jesus loves you more. And, uh, and he wants them to understand that God wants to bless them as well. You see, Bunyan had it right. Our life is a pilgrimage. We, we are not, this is not the end. This is just the journey to the end. And uh, we need to have the focus of Bunyan's Pilgrim Progress. We're here now to serve the Lord and, and to minister to others. And that journey is a lifelong journey in which God gives us opportunity and uses us in that opportunity. And when Christ fills our life up, we are rich in what we can scatter to others. Uh, I like to say that um, God doesn't want you uh, to be rich in material things and spiritually bankrupt. So those two things are the real emphasis of this passage. One, the intimate relationship with God, and the other, uh, the ministry to, to, to other people.
But let's think a little bit more about sanctification. You know what sanctification is. It is that process, and it's a lifelong process, where we become more like Christ, right? And he's working in our life. And, and we make progress. Sometimes it's slower. Sometimes it's faster. But we never get there in this lifetime. It's never perfect. But we do become more and more like Jesus. Well, here's the point. Sanctification is not really much of a possibility if you don't get stewardship in the middle of your sanctification. And I can tell you why. Because money is awfully important to all of us. It has to be. You know, the first time I ever read this in Luther, I thought, man, Luther's got it wrong. He wrote, if I can convert a pocketbook, I can convert a soul. And I read that and he said, wait a minute, no. No, you can convert a soul and then they have new uh, purposes and, and, and a new design for what God has given them. In other words, the soul comes through for the pocketbook. And Luther did say a lot of crazy things. Um, but the more I thought about it, I thought, well, wait a minute. You know, I think he's got it right because there was somebody, his name was Jesus, and he said basically the same thing long before Luther, right? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be. You see, I wonder why. Well, because that's where we live. We live in this material world. And uh, God made, made us material beings. You're a material being. You pinch yourself. You can, you, you can feel it, right? If you can't, come up and talk to me later. There's something wrong. You're a material being, living in a material world, and God is saying to you, don't become a materialist. It will rob you of the joy of life and of your salvation. In verse 27, it says, he who seeks good, actually in the Hebrew, it's he who seeks good finds good. It's a little bit different in the ESV translation here. But, but the idea is that when we are serious about our stewardship, good things happen. Uh, and, and, and the best part of it is that we become, again, more like our God and our Savior. I like to say there are two words to sum up the very nature of God. He's great and he's good. Great and good. I've been looking at the picture, some of you I sure have, of the um, James Webb uh, new telescope that's out there and all these fantastic pictures of, uh, of, of galaxies and galaxies and galaxies and, and we're told that they're, that they're now looking at 35 billion years um, in, into, the, into the universe. I don't even know what that means. I, I sometimes wonder, I wonder if there's any end to the universe, you know? But here's the thing I do know. God created it and God's greater than the universe. You know, we use words like his omnipresence, his omnipotence, and uh, his omniscience. We like those words because they sound big. They sound great, don't they? Uh, but they don't really get it. God's greatness is bigger than the universe. But his goodness is also bigger than the universe. His mercy, his grace. And those two things come together in God working in our lives uh, as we seriously uh, grow in our stewardship and therefore our sanctification. God wants every day 
to give us new life, that is physical life and spiritual life, and that really is enhanced when we take seriously the scattering process that God calls us to in this text right here. We see the goodness of Christ when we hold on tightly to Christ, to his life, death, and resurrection, and we're overcome, maybe even weak need, before his goodness as it then translates into our life. But nothing has a greater possibility of dampening your relationship with God and the process of sanctification than your stewardship. If you don't take that seriously, nothing has the ability to dampen your, your relationship with Christ and your sanctification. You know, the one, number one reason that people get divorced in America, it's not sex, it's not kids, it's money. The number one disagreement that leads to divorce in the United States is disagreements over money. Doesn't surprise me. But I also think it's one of the number one things that gets in our way of our spiritual life, of our growing in Christ, of our becoming more like him. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is writing about stewardship and he's out there collecting money for the uh, saints in Jerusalem. And, and he says this in chapter eight of 2 Corinthians, verse seven, I want you to excel in everything. I want you to excel in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in, your love for, for, in, in our love for you. But see also that you excel in the gift of giving. You see that? See where he puts that? Uh, I, I mean, you would think faith was very important, wouldn't you? And, and you would think zeal uh, is very important. Uh, and you would think knowledge uh, of God is very important. He says, there's another grace, another grace that I want you to excel in, and that's the grace of giving. I received this email from my, um, or actually it was a, a, a text from my youngest grandchild. She's a senior in high school. And I won't read the long text, but I'll just read a little bit of it. She said, listening to the sermon also made me realize just how I put myself at the center of my life rather than Jesus. I downplay and shrink his power in my mind all the time from selfishness to thinking about worldly things that don't matter. There it is. God wants you to be rescued from that. Of, of God becoming small in your world and in your life because the things that God made, the things that my granddaughter says don't even really matter, they become too large. Where are you going to address such a tendency? Um, except in your stewardship. It's when you say everything I have belongs to God, nothing really belongs to me. The very word stewardship, what's it mean? It means that you're a steward, that you have in your trust things that belong to somebody else and you carefully steward them for that person. In this case, God who's given you everything. So the challenge, this temptation, as it were, to put worldly things ahead of Christ is the challenge we all have to deal with. You know, there was a reason why Paul said the love of money is the root of all evil. It's because our fallen nature has a propensity 
to worship the things that God made rather than the God who made them. We come into the world like that, and there's no greater cure to that idol of materialism. There's no greater vaccination, and I threw that in because of COVID and so on. I'm sure some of you have been vaccinated. Um, no greater cure, no greater vac vaccination, no greater antidote to the temptation of materialism as exercising a scattering heart, asking the Holy Spirit to give you a generous uh, heart rather than one that hoards things for yourself. So how does the sanctification process of generosity work in our life? I have four practical outcomes. These are really treasures, if you will. The first is, if you'll really get serious about your stewardship, it will bring into your life a peace and a serenity uh, that you've never experienced before. Uh, I think you'd admit this is kind of a hectic world, right? Peace and serenity, they're almost lost words. Wouldn't you like to recapture just a little bit of it? One way is to say, God, it all belongs to you, and I'm going to use it for your benefit and for your kingdom and not for mine. Contentment comes by faith in God, not faith in wealth. And uh, a benevolent spirit redirects your heart and your mind away from your bank account, away from your 401k to God himself. Secondly, and, and uh, um, this one is, is more implied uh, in the passage, it's not as, as clear in the passage, but, but it is that, uh, um, that we gain a greater humility. Now, I'm sure you all got up this morning and prayed for more humility, right? But you should have. If you want to be like Jesus, you're going to want more humility. As Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, I want you to have the mind of Christ. He was in the form of God, thought it not Robert equal with God, but he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Have the mind of Christ, the mind of humility. Well, what brings humility in our life more than to say again, God, I haven't really um, produced any of this. You've given it to me. Yeah, I've worked hard. Maybe I've saved. All those kinds of things are important. Don't get me wrong, but still, God's the one who is provided, and it produces a real sense of dependence on him, uh, a beautiful type of humility, if you will. Thirdly, and this one will surprise you, it will produce more godly children. Um, in, uh, in verse 28, it says, whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind, and the fool will be the servant of the wise of heart. Um, you want godly children. Um, my wife and I, we pray uh, for all of our children. We have five. I had three. She had two. Uh, when our spouses passed away, we were married. So now I have five. By the way, I like to say when we got married, I had seven grandchildren. She didn't have any grandchildren because her children don't have any offspring. So I had seven and she had zero, but now she's got seven and I've got zero. Uh, 
because she buys them off. That's what she does. At least I'm convinced of that. <clears throat> but what do we pray for? Well, if they're sick, we pray for their health, of course. If they're out of work, we pray for a job. There's lots of things we pray. But every day we pray, most of all, that they will live a godly life, that they will love Jesus more. That's the most important thing in, in our prayers for our children. Well, let me tell you something. Your stewardship is a huge, powerful sermon to your children. When they see how you handle the material things that God has given to you and what it means to you, it is a powerful sermon, greater than anything maybe they're going to ever hear from a pulpit even. I'm really glad that you have an offering. I go to church right now, and I was last Sunday in church, I was telling the preacher, we need an offering because worship, I mean, giving is part of worship. What our preacher says is there's a basket in the back. If you want to help support the church, you can put some money in the basket. That's not why you give, is it? You give out of worship. And I can remember when I was growing up, and we, didn't, we were not a rich family at all. At one time, we didn't even have a car. But my parents would each give us a dime. He'd get my, my brother a dime and me a dime, and we'd put it in the offering plate. They were trying to teach us something about life and about godliness. And I think it paid off. And um, finally, the salvation of others. Um, the, the text says... Um, in verse, uh, um, in, in verse, let me get it up here. Um, verse 30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and whoever captures souls is wise. You get excited about people coming to faith? One of the ways you can have a part of that is your stewardship. Um, and uh, when, when you're helping to support other things and so on and people come to faith, uh, you know, it is such a blight. We're, we're, next month, we're going to support a young man who's the campus pastor from our denomination going to Brown. He's actually been there two weeks, Brown University, up in Rhode Island. And I talked to him day before yesterday, and I said, Travis, going to be praying for two things, that you have converts, people come to faith out of Brown University, and that you uh, help those who are believers, to keep their faith and grow in their faith. And we're going to be praying every day for you. And because we're one of his supporters, we're part of that. I believe people are going to come to faith, and I believe people are going to be preserved and grow in their faith at Brown University, and I get to be a part of that because I'm willing to scatter what God has given me. That's the blessing. So what's the conclusion? Well, so much of Christian life comes down to just two things. Is it me or is it him? And one of the places where we make the biggest declaration that it's him and not me is in our stewardship. If I'm willing, like this text says, to be a scatterer of the things that God has given us. You see, a major battlefield for your life and your soul is in the things that God has given you and in your stewardship. And the reason is, is because there's an organic, there's an organic connection between your material life and your spiritual life. You cannot separate the two. Jim Elliott said this, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. You ever read that? I wrote one a little different for this sermon. 
He is a happy fool who learns how much richer he is when he learns to hang on to Christ firmly and hang on loosely to the things of this world. He's a happy fool who learns how much richer he is when he learns to hang on to Christ firmly and hang on loosely to the things of this world. Let us pray. Father, it shouldn't surprise us that stewardship is so important. We don't have to read very far in the Bible to bump into it. 15% of everything that Jesus said had to deal with or dealt with material things. And Father, it's because there is this close organic um, relationship between our spiritual life and our life of stewardship. We pray, Father, that you will help us to take this seriously, to pray about our stewardship, and act as your Holy Spirit leads us. Will you do that for us? We pray in Christ's name. Amen.